You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. A patient presents to you with symptoms consistent with lumbar radiculopathy. When can we treat that patient conservatively, and when should we be more aggressive? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, your host, and with me today is Dr. Daniel Mazinek, Associate Director of the Center for Spine Health at the Neurologic Institute at the Cleveland Clinic. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Mazinek. My pleasure. This is a common clinical situation for us primary care providers. Sometimes I'm stymied by insurance companies who tell me to wait, wait, don't get that scan, don't go forward so quickly. What do we have from the literature that can guide us about being conservative or being more aggressive? There's a reasonably long history in the literature now trying to evaluate the natural history of lumbar radiculopathy as well as the benefits of medical or surgical treatment. Very recently, there's a now widely publicized study called the SPORT trial. SPORT stands for Spine Patients Outcome Research Trial, uh, which was a consortium of centers around the country that attempted to address specifically the medical versus surgical success of treating lumbar radiculopathy. But prior to SPORT, really dating back to the 70s and early 80s, there have been a series of observational studies of patients who have had lumbar radiculopathy fairly clearly defined. In general, uh, I think it's fair to say demonstrated an overall favorable natural history with observation and or medical treatment, meaning that at least 75 or 80 percent of people with uh, lumbar, true lumbar radiculopathy respond or get well, so to speak, uh, without surgical intervention. And in these older studies, was there any standard type of care that was provided that was defined as medical treatment? Well, I think that's one of the problems with virtually all the older and the newer studies, unfortunately, is that uh, medical treatment is either very poorly described or simply not standardized whatsoever. There's a classic trial published in the spine journals in the uh, early 80s, which has had 10 years follow-up subsequently reported uh, several years after that. And the standard of treatment in that study on the non-surgical side, it was a trial comparing non-surgical and surgical treatment, was two weeks of bed rest. Well, that's not the -the state-of-the-art circa 2007, but even the more recent trials really often either do not report what was done and just use vague terms such as medical treatment or physical therapy, not specifying whether it was very passive physical therapy or active physical therapy, or leave it up to the clinician to prescribe whatever uh, their particular favorite treatment is. So the lack of standardization of medical treatment is a problem in virtually all of the studies to date. Does that hold true at all for the surgical treatments, or are some of these trials old enough that the newer surgical techniques make those trials not that relevant? Well, I think that's a very good point, is that comparing spine surgery in 2007 with spine surgery in 1980 is really like comparing apples and oranges in terms of the surgical technique, the recovery time, and therefore, I think the one of the problems with the older trials, one could argue, is that surgery has changed so much that they become less valid. But in the newer trials, I think it's fair to say that surgical treatment is reasonably well standardized. There's actually less variability in surgical treatment of lumbar radiculopathy than there is in the, you know, the myriad of potential non-surgical options. So 
in fairness to the surgical side, you certainly want to look at newer trials and surgical outcomes in newer studies in comparison to the older ones where it was typical, for example, someone might be hospitalized for a week or 10 days after a lumbar discectomy. Well, today, this is often an in-and-out, same-day procedure with no hospital stay or at most one night in the hospital. In terms of epidural steroid injections, is that considered part of the medical treatment or is that more procedural? Well, it's procedural, although in most studies it is thrown on the non-surgical or medical side. So it it would be considered an adjunctive treatment to non-surgical care. From these older studies, although somewhat flawed by lack of definition of medical treatment and because the surgical techniques may be a bit outdated, are there any takeaway messages that we have? I think there really are. And I think that these older studies would say, first of all, that patients with lumbar radiculopathy can get better with either medical or surgical treatment, number one. Number two, that in general, surgical treatment makes people better, particularly their leg pain, better faster. And finally, however, that with longer-term follow-up, the difference in outcome between medical and surgical patients narrows so that at four years, uh, even 10 years after the onset of symptoms or treatment, you really can't tell the difference between medically and surgically treated patients in pain, function, uh, work status, the important outcome measures that we all look at. So I think those are the three general conclusions one can draw from the older literature. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and I'm speaking with Dr. Daniel Mazinek, Associate Director for the Center for Spine Health at the Cleveland Clinic. We are discussing surgical versus so-called medical treatment for lumbar radiculopathy. So, Dr. Mazinek, now we've got this newer trial that aims to address some of the uh, shortcomings of the older trials. Tell us about SPORT. Well, SPORT, again, stands for Spine Patients Outcome Research Trial, and it's it's really a study or a group of uh, centers from around the country, 13 centers, that sought to design a study uh, to compare, finally, a direct comparison of medical and surgical treatment of a well-characterized group of people with lumbar disc herniation and radiculopathy. So it's a multi-center study. They recruited patients who had had radicular pain, leg pain greater than back pain, for longer than six weeks. And they sought to randomize, there were really two arms to the study. The arm that was intended to directly compare medical and surgical treatment was a randomized, where patients who met the criteria were randomized to either medical treatment or a surgical discectomy. And there were about 500 patients in that randomized side of the study. Pretty good size. A very good size study, well-powered. Uh, they had made projections based on the studies we've already talked about, and they felt that that number of patients would be enough to demonstrate a, uh, an important clinical difference if one exists between medical and surgical treatment. The study was designed as an intent-to-treat study, meaning that the statistical analysis at the completion of the study was based on the group the patient was assigned to, irrespective of whether the patient ended up with medical or surgical treatment. If they were randomized to the medical group, then they were analyzed as having been treated medically when, in fact, they might have been crossed over, and vice versa. The important outcomes in the study 
that were measured uh, included important functional outcomes, back-specific outcomes, uh, the Oswestry score, which is a back-specific functional score, as well as two subsets, really, of the SF36. So they looked at important outcomes, functional outcomes, in these two different groups of patients. So it sounds like very well set up study, very adequate number of patients, number of centers, uh, modern techniques. And then there was the second arm. Well, the second arm, they screened about 2,000 patients. Of the patients who were screened for the study who chose not to be randomized, they were offered participation in an observational cohort. To participate in that, they had to agree to the same follow-up intervals and follow-up data collection that the randomized patients were subject to. 700 or so patients were in the so-called observational court, basically patients who selected their treatment, medical or surgical. It was a non-randomized group of patients. What did the study end up indicating and showing? The randomized study, which was really the centerpiece of this study, as I indicated, was an intent-to-treat design. The bottom line is that the study found no difference between medical and surgical treatment in outcome at any important monitoring point. Unfortunately, the study design, the intent-to-treat analysis, was severely confounded by the fact that a very high number of patients in either in the medical group or the surgical group crossed over to the other treatment arm. So that of the patients, for example, randomized to surgery, only 60% of them had had spine surgery performed at one-year follow-up. So fully 40% of the surgical patients did not get surgery in their group. And conversely, in the medical side, at two years, 45% of the medical group had gone on to have surgery. That's got to be a major wrench in the intention-to-treat analysis. It really destroyed the intention-to-treat analysis. Intent-to-treat is designed to preserve randomization and thereby equally distribute those variables that might influence outcome between the two medical and surgical treatment groups. When there's such a high crossover rate, effectively the intent-to-treat analysis really becomes worthless. As the authors point out in the conclusion of the study themselves, one really can't draw any conclusions about superiority or equivalence of the treatment because of the high crossover rate. Were there other problems with the study? I think the other problem with this study that, and it's, it's a problem with virtually all of the previous studies, is that medical treatment was not standardized. And so that the authors of the study viewed essentially all medical treatment as being equal and patients were treated in a variety of ways, assuming that there really were no differences between certain types of physical therapy or acupuncture or medication or whatever. So the lack of standardization of the medical side, I think, is a major issue because there is some evidence that certain types of physical therapy, for example, have more value than others in treating radiculopathy of uh, disc origin. Uh, furthermore, and again, it's another problem with most of the studies, is patients entering the study had already, most of them had already had six weeks or more of medical treatment. So effectively, the study is taking patients who had failed medical treatment and then randomizing them to more medical treatment or surgical treatment. So it, it's not starting at day one with a clean medical versus surgical comparison. And 
It's essentially taking medical failures and randomizing them to more of the same. Despite the good intentions of how the trial was set up, because of these problems, are there some messages that we can take home, some good things we can learn? Yes. I mean, I think what we can learn, as we have from the previous studies, is that both medical and surgical patients improve so that either treatment can be effective, that from the observational cohort, surgery does get people better faster, but that in the long run, the difference between medical and surgical treatment does indeed narrow, and that most people two years later significantly better, both in terms of pain and function. Well, I want to thank Dr. Daniel Mazinek, who has been our guest as we've been discussing conservative versus more aggressive or surgical treatment for lumbar radiculopathy. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.